The whole purpose of these things is to hold my coffee cup. That's it. And so when they're down there, I don't have seven foot arms. So sorry about that. If those of you who are now feeling like the whole thing is leaning this way, tough. <laughs> this is an exciting, it's an exciting time at Hope. Um, there's just a lot of neat things happening. In the next few weeks, we'll let you know about some of the things uh, happening. We're going to be sending some people different places. And that Hope will be expanding uh, quite frankly, all over the world in the next few weeks. So this is a very exciting time to be here. Some of you, this is kind of weird, uh, we st- this is the time of year when we start to see the balcony get a little bit more people. It's a time of the, when the, of the year when I go back to pants, which I think a lot of you answered prayer there with your, the uh, white legs and everything. It's also a time when I switch back to hot drinks instead of cold and the whole thing. And it's also a time when our students start to arrive and some of you who are only around us for the summer start to depart. And so there's kind of this thing happening. Many of you are going different places this fall. And so there's all this transition time and things happening here. And it is, it is a great time. This week in particular, um, there's about 25 or so. How many people are part of the launch team? Somewhere around 25 people. This message is really only for them. I'm going to let the rest of you, because I'm a nice guy, I'm going to let you listen. But, the, but this uh, message primarily is for the launch of, why don't you go there, there we go, I Want the Church. Two years ago, this thing started as a dream when I was sitting in a meeting where I found out that a church, Minnehaha Baptist Church, was going out of business. And I said, what would you think about not closing those doors completely? And did I say something funny? Oh, I thought I misspoke like I always do. Uh, the, uh, and I said, what do you think about not closing those doors and, uh, and letting us start a church in there? And so two years later, this is the dream that's taking place. Now, that's as much credit as I take for the whole thing. The uh, Wachters, who are not here because I don't exactly know what's going on in their life, some lame excuse like having a baby or something. And um, the Devereaux are teaming up a team of people, and you'll get to meet them in a little while. But this is a very significant thing. If you think about it now, on a Sunday morning or afternoon or evening, whenever Missio Day meets or four in the morning, I don't know, they're kind of one of those emergent type churches, so I don't know when they meet exactly. But there'll be now five services happening somewhere over the city. Yeah, I'd call it right. Between St. Paul Fellowship, two at Hope, uh, now at Hiawatha, and and, uh, then also Missio Day. So that's kind of cool. That that will be taking place. And uh, yes, our goal is to take over the entire city for Jesus, not for us, but, but uh, we'd love to see this city. So this message today is for them. So it's kind of like um, a little bit of a, uh, uh, you know, you're listening in. If you'd ever been to an ordination sermon or, uh, or they're, they're setting apart someone or a commissioning time, uh, you know it's kind of for them. Um, However, I'm going to make this fit into the John study, and you're going to wonder, my gosh, how in the world is this text going to fit? And by the end of it, you're going to go, obviously, that's how it fit. We're in a a series in the Gospel of John. We're in the last week of John chapter 7 that that we're going to be spending. We have been here for three weeks. What's going on is Jesus is at... uh, In Jerusalem, he's at a feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. It's a deal where he came there specifically to let some things out of the bag publicly, but he wanted to do it on his own timetable and on his own way. This feast takes place in September or October of the year 33. 
Jesus is going to be uh, crucified in March, April 34. So there's not a whole lot of time left in his life. We're only in John chapter 7. John is devoted primarily uh, to this last period of Jesus' life. This, most of the book of John is about that. He's going to Jerusalem where it's a dangerous place. And last week we talked about this, what takes place at this feast. He makes a huge declaration. And the declaration is this, and it happens on the last day. It's up there. It says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the spirit whom those he, who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And, and I couldn't have picked a better person than Chris Anderson. Chris, you here today? Where's Chris? Man, dude, we, we never talked before, right? We did not talk about this. I, I just said, what's that? Scout Center. We did not talk ahead of time, and I just asked Chris Anderson to stand up and say something random, loud, and he did. And it was, <laughs> and it was beautiful. I'm still all week long pondering about what you said. If you want to know, go on the internet and fail. I think you said it loud enough even to be picked up by my mic up here. So anyway, just how weird that would have been. You're in this meeting, and it's just like somebody stands up and just says, if anybody's thirsty, come to me and drink. It's like, whoa, that is just a weird declaration. But it was a huge declaration. And then people are very divided upon him. We, this is how we closed last week. It says, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Christ. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Now, this week we're going to pick up right there. So like I said, it would have been, been nice to do the entire feast thing, all of John chapter 7 in a week, but it's just it's too much passage for us to do in one week. So we kind of divided it up. We're picking up right there. So just figure the tension, everything that's happening right there, and here's where the leaders come in. Here's where the religious rulers come in. John chapter 7, starting in verse 45. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? Now, if you remember right, way back earlier in John chapter 7, the, the temple rulers had sent out the temple guards, said, go get him. They come back, minus Jesus. So, you know, I write job descriptions around here. We're going to have a staff or two this week. We're going to work on our job descriptions. They had one thing on the job description. You go, bring back Jesus. It's like that Python skit, you know. Okay, I want you to stay here until, yeah, I haven't seen it. But anyway, it, it's a simple job. You go, get Jesus, bring him back here. They come back, no Jesus. Okay, why didn't you bring him? Look at their answer. No one ever spoke the way this man does. I think this guy might just be who he says he is. And so therefore, your job description towards me versus what this guy says who he is and the power that could possibly be there if he's really from God, it's a nice way of saying you can take your job description and put it where the sun don't shine. I am not bringing this guy in. Look at how they respond. You mean he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted, has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? Have any of the big dogs, you see us up here, have any one of us said he's the guy, that he's the Christ, he's the one we're waiting for? Huh? Answer, no. 
But this mob that knows nothing of the law, those uneducated mob type people, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus. Now listen to this. Remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3? Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, asks him a bunch of questions. We don't know for sure if Nicodemus came to believe, but we believe so because especially what happens at the end of, of Jesus' life. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, now, see, he's contradicting him. He said, does anyone, is any of the big dogs believe? And Nicodemus is saying, uh, let me just ask a question here. Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? You know what their reply is? What are you, from Iowa? <laughs> or Galilee, excuse me? What are you, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Now, think about this. This is radical stuff. Here are the religious rulers of the day standing up here and, and giving their orders and looking good for people to see it. The Son of God, God incarnate, fully God, fully man, is right there in their midst. And they miss it. Whoa. That's, that's, that's crazy. Not only do they miss it, but they're mocking those who believe it. Look inside the, the mind of these Pharisees here for a second. Inside the mind of guys I'm calling Fred, and go to the next one there. Fred and Phil. Or Phil and Fred, sorry, I got it mixed up. Um, inside the mind of these guys, you know, you were, you were right and I was wrong. You did a good job. I need to back up a little bit. I want, show me where how they displayed. Yeah, you did really nice. Go back there. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Bah, 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 way up. Da, 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 that right there. I want you just to look at a second what these Pharisees, how they, um, what they declared, and just look at their hearts. And I want to actually strike a little fear in you. Look at the first thing. You mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees said. Okay, so the temple guards come back, and they are so bound up in what they're going to hold that they're saying that what is truth, they're saying is a lie. Are you saying that he's deceived you? They've twisted things in their own reality so that their reality is now reality, but real reality is not reality. I had to write that on the bathroom wall. That was profound. Somebody's typing in their text message right now. <laughs> in other words, I am so gung-ho, I'm so sure, I'm so hard-hearted on what I say is true that it doesn't matter with me what the real truth is so when the temple guards come back and they ask a question, basically a statement, but it's a question, this guy's teaching with some major authority here, don't you think so? They say, you're deceived. Look at the second thing they tell him. Has any of the rulers or the, or, or the Pharisees believed in him? No, not necessarily correct. Nicodemus is questioning, is wondering, he's a seeker at that moment. Third thing they say, this mob can't trust uneducated people. They don't know anything. And then they say, they're cursed. Wow. He tells these temple guards, th these Pharisees, tell the temple guards that the crowd is cursed because they believe. And you know what? They don't know their Bible anyway. They don't know the law. If they knew the law, they'd know that this guy wasn't the right guy. And then they, then they got their facts all wrong. 
They replied, are you from Galilee too? Did Nicodemus look into it? And you'll find that a prophet does not come from out of Galilee. Jesus wasn't from Galilee. They got their facts wrong. Now, as I thought about this this week, the thing that hit me on it was how frightening it would be to be those people, to be a Pharisee. Generally in our culture, if you call someone a Pharisee, it's not a positive comment. And the Pharisees here, there's something that happened to them so that they became like this. So I want to go inside the mind. Now you can show that one, son. You were, you were, way, you were doing great and I was looking at you. The whole thing, my bad. Uh, inside the mind of Fred and Phil Pharisee. What's going on here? Why are the way they are? They are unbelievers. They are committed unbelievers. And yet they're cloaked in all the right sounding words. They're cloaked as believers. Of their time, they were the religious dudes. And yet they had fallen into unbelief, disbelief, turning away from Christ completely. He's right there in front of them. What happened? And I want to list five things Five things that you need to avoid if you don't want to become a Pharisee. Five things that if you don't avoid these things, they will lead you to unbelief. They will just lead you that way. Now, and if you're Hiawatha Church, because this message is for you, the rest of you, thanks for listening. Uh, five things that that neighborhood down there radically does not need. They've seen this enough. In fact, in some of your outreaches, as you talked with people on the, in the neighborhoods, I'm sure this is the stereotype, the stereotypical Christian, stereotypical church. They don't need this. They've got enough of this. Five things to avoid, five things to do the flip of. Let's take a look at them. First of all, is they were rigidly, religiously traditionalists. They were rigid about it. Everything in their proper place. Everything in their right place. Look at this sign, for instance. Perfect. No littering. Balto City Code, Article 11, Section 264. Now that's worthy of a sign. Think about that for a second. What kind of anal and retentive person actually created this sign? Think about it. To actually spend money on the letters to say, oh yeah? Pick up your gum. Why? Because of Article 11, Section 264. It doesn't matter that littering, you know, I might step on your gum or we're trying to keep our city street. It doesn't say, have a nice day. Please don't litter. We want to keep our city clean. No. No littering. Why? Article 11, Section 264. That is rigid religious traditionalism. I like this shirt right here. It's a shirt that Relevant Magazine puts together. Legalism rules. It's kind of a double meaning there, you know, the rules. Let's talk about how that can ruin can kill you. How can traditionalism, how can being religious, how can being rigid kill your heart? How can you be religious and be, you know, within smelling the breath of Jesus Christ and miss him? How can that be? Luke 11. By the way, just a bunch of Bible this morning for you people from Hiawatha. So I don't know if you guys read the Bible. I don't know if that's what you're going to do down there. If nothing else... Just listen to this message a few times. Luke 11, 42. says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give, a, a, give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs. 
Think about that for a second. These guys got tithing down to a science. They don't just give a tenth of their money. They give a tenth of everything. We think, man, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I mean, these guys are really into giving. He says, woe. Woe means cursed, by the way. Cursed are you. Woe to you. Because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all the kinds of garments, but you neglect justice and the love of God. Oh, yeah. Forgot that. No. Don't do that. You have given all these things. You've categorized it all. Section, or, or Article 11, Section 264. It's all good. But you forget the main point. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. It's okay to give a tenth. You want to give a tenth of your income? That's a great start. But, but, but don't think that somehow makes you right with God and that everything else is okay based on that. Look at Jesus says to the, these people in Matthew chapter 6. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Woo. Woo. If you're religious, that, that, that's a bummer. Do your acts of righteousness in front of people, guess what? You got your reward. You're done. What do you really want to do? You really want other people to see you and say, that's cool. Okay. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. I have a theory on this. This is not a theology, so please don't get a pulpit committee to fire me. It's just a theory. I have a theory that God actually, when you pray, does not hear your words. He hears your heart. So when you pray, I think what God hears, and you're praying in public and you're doing it like this, I think what he hears is, oh God, I'm so glad I look so cool right now. I'm glad that I know all these big theological words that impress all these people. That's what he hears. And you're praying for, oh, bless this child, make this child so well, whatever. But God is hearing the attitude of your heart. Let me just say the, most, the biggest understatement in the world. God is not stupid. If you think you can just do actions that he doesn't know your heart, it's ri ridiculous. And that's what they're doing. You want to become a Pharisee? Want to wander into unbelief? and yet stay in a church community, do that. It leads so much so in John chapter 16, we're going to see this in about nine years when we get to John chapter 16, that this is going to happen. Look what he says to his disciples. Jesus is speaking to them in an endearing moment, and he says, they says, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. That doesn't frighten you. It should. Religion, man, religion is dangerous stuff. A relationship with Jesus Christ is transforming. Religion is dangerous stuff. Stay away from religion. Stay away from traditionalism. It'll kill you. Now, Hiawatha. You guys, right there, 
This is kind of fun to preach over here. You guys, stay away from that stuff. That's what they have seen. That's what they've wanted. It's kind of fun to wander all over the place here. Huh? Now, what's the remedy? The remedy is this. The remedy is this. Write this passage down. Don't have any insert this week. Didn't have time. Write this passage down. Memorize this passage. If anyone else, Paul is speaking. Paul, he was a Pharisee. He had to come out of that lifestyle to become a Christian. And it wasn't an easy road. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, in my own abilities, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. He basically says, here's the Bible. Show me something I did wrong. That's what he says. But guess what? He says, but whatever is to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, obeying all the rules, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. The, the, the remedy to legalism is Jesusism. If you don't have yourself centered on Jesus Christ, if you don't have yourself clinging to that cross and saying, what can wash us clean as snow? Only the blood of Jesus. If you aren't there, you will be a legalist towards God. God, I've done enough. I'm not as bad as Hitler, right? Or put a fill in the blank over a bad Millie Vanilli or whoever your bad person is. Um, I don't know where that came from. I have no idea where that came from. Uh, so, You'll, you'll live that way. What's the answer? Christ-centeredism. Saying, Jesus Christ, I'm in this for a relationship with you. Everything else pales to that. I'm after following you. I want to know you better. I want to follow you. I want to suffer with you. Remedy to legalism is radical Christ-centeredism. No one will reject someone who loves Jesus like that. If you stink of legalism, I have two seconds for you. If you love Jesus Christ, people will love on you. Not everyone, but by and large, people will be attracted to you. All right, so the first thing inside these two guys is rigid religious traditional. Second thing, there was a serious passion to be a people pleaser. Jesus says to them in John 5, after uh, he heals the, the crippled man, they completely miss this healing because he did it on a Sabbath. Jesus corrects these religious rulers by telling them, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? Later on in John chapter 12, we'll see this in a few weeks. Many of the leaders start to believe. You can see in John chapter 12, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders Believed in him, that's Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith. They wouldn't go all the way 
they would like, I think that's, I think he's the Christ, but you know what, I'm afraid of others for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Let me ask you a question, Hiawatha Church, everybody else listening. You got an audience of one. One. Everybody else? Second seat. You got an audience of one. Is God, the one we sang about who's holy and awesome and majestic this morning, audience of one? Third thing inside the mind of Fred and Phil is worshiping financial security and wealth. We're going to talk about this in a few weeks. I'm going to take a break from our series to talk about something that is kind of passionate with me right now, but it's this whole concept of who owns who, your money or your life. What's, what's really going on here? Listen to this passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to, his godly, and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who've been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People want to get rich, uh, get rich, fall into temptation, and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. What kind of ruin and destruction would that be? Oh, maybe being six inches from Jesus and not seeing him. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, there are many of you in this room that, that should be rich. You know what? Almost everybody in this room is rich. If you just look at the world standards. Right? We're richer than 90% of the world. By our standards, they say, oh, I'm not rich. Dude, I own two cars. Two I could drive one a block, run back, get the other one, drive it two blocks, go back, get the other one. I could just leapfrog all through the city if I want all day long. I own two of them. I own a house. I own a house. I have a shirt that doesn't have holes in it. Anyway, I'm sorry, I got off on that. Uh, but some of you, though, I think, I think, and I could prove this biblically, I don't have time, though, too. I think some of you are called to be rich. Praise God, somebody should be rich. I'm for that. Listen to what Paul says, lay a few verses down. He says, Command those who are rich in this world not to be rich. Nope, doesn't say that. He says, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. This is my big thing right here. What's the, what's the opposite of holding on to financial things and saying, I will, I will, this will create, I, I need to be defined by my stuff or by how much money I make or my W-2 or my career choices or whatever. What's the opposite of that? The opposite of that in my view and I think scripturally is generosity. Are you a generous person? With your time, with your talents, with your treasure. Are you a generous person? You give it away. Just give. Hiawatha Church, be generous. It'll blow you away. It'll blow you away as you are generous with others. Fourth thing, an absolute demand for absolute power. 
Luke 20. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Wow. Wow. Mark chapter 10, Jesus talks again to his disciples and he gives them the remedy for this. He says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the, of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Your job, Hiawatha Church, is to be a servant to that community. I love one of the questions they're going around asking. They're going around door to door asking, what could we do to serve this community? Isn't that a great question? What would, what would make a difference? If there were a church here, how could it make the community better? Isn't that a great question? It's a great question you guys are asking. I mean, they're getting all kinds of radical answers, you know, like give away $1,000 to everybody, that, you know, whatever. But I mean, that whole mindset coming in, we are here to serve you. You're not here to serve us. We're here as a church to serve you. That's, that's, that's great. That's wonderful talk. I used to work out in Eden Prairie and... Um, on the way back, I used to go through that wonderful design. I don't know if, I hope the person who was here didn't design it because uh, we should shoot them. But they, the Lindale thing where, where uh, Crosstown, Lindale peels off, goes down to one lane, and then you got to get to stay on Crosstown, which is the road I was on all the time. I have to merge into 35 and then merge back out of it. Yeah, somebody should be shot here. This is, this is just not good. And so I'd, I'd be teaching eighth graders all day long. Okay, just that was a bad, 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 I had some bad vibe there. That was a flashback hit me. Uh, and so I would do that. I would, I would come, I'd come there and I'd get stuck in this traffic jam. Traffic jam constantly. It's, it's, it's also because people think they can just zoom down the, the little uh, right-hand lane there. It's exit only. By the way, exit only means you're supposed to exit. So, but if there's a solid white line thing and then you cross over... Yeah, there have been bad things done to people because of those kind of things. So they would, people would just constantly merge in there. And I remember, uh, uh, I, for about a year, I was one of those people that wouldn't let you in. I admit it. Uh, if you're here today, I was one of those guys that, you know, you kind of get in, and there was no way. Hey, I drive cars with 150,000 miles. Hit me. Go for it. I need the money. <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't let you in. Then you'd slow down. you come back here. I'd, I'd slow down. You were not getting in, man. You were exiting off Lindale if I had to run you off the road to do it. <laughs> Two years I did that. One year, on, one time I got home, I was so mad, I was so frustrated that I thought, you know, that clown that did at the last minute sneak in, I bet he's at home having a beer right now. And I'm here, just ticked off. So finally I just said, forget it, I'm done. I'm not going to let these people ruin my life and I just, I would let people in. It, it's still, you can see where I got some history here, but... <laughs> anyway, I'd come home I'd come home, I'd be, after all this, I'd come home, I'd come to the door. Behind that door is a wife who's been with two small toddlers all day long. Now, the last thing she wants to hear is about some guy who tried to cut me off on Lindell, right? She, don't care. Do not care. What she wants is, tag, you're it. That's what she wants, right? 
And the Lord convicted me from this passage and another like it, where I realized that my role was, I, I literally had an exercise. I sometimes do this to this day. I come after that long drive. I put my hand on the doorknob, and I say, my calling right now from God is to be a blessing to everyone on the other side of this door. Even though right now, all I want to do is get the paper and go into the porch where it's, you know, the cave. It's kind of the cave in our house. You go there and be quiet. That's not my calling right now. My call right now is to serve, even though every muscle in my body says I want to be served. How about the church? If you live that way, th there'll be a different neighborhood there. If you live trying to cut them off, they're unregenerate people. They're supposed to cut you off. That's what they do. That's the people who don't know Christ do. That because the only thing they got is that they're ahead of you on Crosstown. So give it up. I know it takes me a long time and it's still hard. All right. Fifth thing. Fifth thing. Last thing. Control. The opposite of love is manipulation and control. I have to have things go my way. I have to. What are you, deceived? Like, like everybody else? What's wrong with you? Are you from Galilee too? Why are you following him? Losing control. If I lose control, I lose everything. Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. By the way, Jesus always passes tests. But teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He, that's the, the, the expert in the law, says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus answers him, says, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Would have been a great session if it ended there. It doesn't end there, he says. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus tells a story. It's always buckle your seatbelt when Jesus is going to tell you a story to your question, okay? Here it comes. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, Levite another uh, uh, religious ruler, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a lowly, rotten Samaritan, a half-breed, the Jews hated Samaritans, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Looked after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now which of the three do you think was a neighbor of the one who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. On the trip, on the trip from, uh, where are they going? From Jerusalem to Jericho. God has one agenda item, and it's this guy. And they miss it. The religious guys miss it. Too busy. Oh, I'm a priest. I can't touch something unclean. There's one agenda item. And it was stepping out of control, and it was giving it up. It was stepping out in love. 
was being a person who was willing to allow yourself to say, I'm going to put aside my agenda, put aside my title, I'm going to put aside my uh, uh, honor in, in a sense that I need to be honorable, and I kneel down to help somebody else. I'm going to be a person of love. A few years back, a friend of mine, I remember exactly the place in the road where we were when he asked me this question. A friend of mine who was starting helping start a church in Rochester, Minnesota, we were just right out there on Highway 55. We were driving in. We had just uh, were able to move downtown. I want to tell him the amazing story of this. We were just coming right there, and he turned to me, and he's just one of those guys, he just loves on you. He's a generous, loving guy. Oh, my goodness. He's just a fantastic man. Dave's his name. And he looks at me and he says, Steve, would you say that your church is characterized by love? And it shocked me because I think of a lot of our distinctives, but love is not the first thing that comes out of my mouth. Not that we're not all loving here. I'm not, I'm not indicting anyone. But I said that wasn't the first thing on my mind. It might not have even made top 10, to be honest with you. Whew, that was a convicting day. I, I, it's like freeze frame. You know, everything stops. I was just... You know what that is when everything else is in fast motion but you're in slow motion? No, it doesn't happen to you? Okay, well, that's what happened to me and I've been thinking about that ever since. And I think of it even personally. Steve, would you say that you're characterized by love? Now, look at this list again. Here's these guys. Traditionalists, people pleasers, passionate about money and security that comes with it, wanting control through power over others, and lastly, Wanting to control others by not having love. Now, Hiawatha Church, don't do that. Those are bad things. Bad things. All you got, all I'm asking this week, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just telling you five things not to do. Right, easy, right? Don't do those things. How are you going to do that? How do you realistically overcome the danger of unbelief or Phariseeism? And it is this. Go to the next. It's the declaration. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. That's the answer. How can you, you can't even, you know, it's not on your own strength. You can't do those things. But you can do that. Go to the one who will give you, give you strength. Just a minute here, I want to introduce you to this team. There's been about 25-ish, right, people that have been part of what we call the launch team, correct? The launch team who have helped start this uh, new church. Going to start it in two weeks. Two weeks, September 3rd, will be their opening day, 10 a.m., down there, 42nd and 41st. 42nd Street, 41st Avenue, got it. Uh, you go to 42nd, 42nd, you'll be all right. It's within walking distance. Uh, <laughs> Hiawatha Church, I'm making a way in the desert, rivers in the wasteland. I'm going to have them come up in just a minute to share a little bit about their name, why they chose the name, uh, a little bit about, um, you didn't know you were going to do this, did you? But you're going to, that's all right. Uh, a little bit about the name, and a little bit about what we can be praying for you guys, and then we're going to commission them. But I just have to show you two of their slides that are going to go up in the Riverview Theater, which is right down the street. My favorite theater in all Minneapolis, Riverview Theater. There's two great slides. Go ahead here. First one. These are designed by Russ Nelson. I'm going to throw out kudos who designed these, who did these. Russ Nelson. Free street parking. Isn't that great? That's classic. And this one I like here. Come as you are. 
What's that? Oh, well, I, this, I, do you like the Godzilla one better? Oh, yeah. I like this one because it's got the Loch Ness, the, the, the UFO, and the come as you are, you know? I thought it was funny. So, anyway, that one's not going in, the Godzilla one. That's a rough draft. All right, whatever. So you can see this church can be a fun place, obviously. So what I'm going to ask all the people who are part of the, Highland, would you grab me a cordless mic too? Um, all the people that are part of the Hiawatha launch team, if you would just land right down front right here. And Michael and Nicole, if you'd come up front here, I'm going to interview them a little bit. But everyone else who's been part of the launch team, if you're here today, I'd like you guys to come right down front. Thank you. Got this one on there. Come on, right downtown, down front. Look at them so they can get a good look at you all. Now, the interesting thing, one of the interesting things about what we're trying to do in this particular church plant, unlike our others, is that there, there'll be a little bit of time like this. So you're not saying goodbye to these people totally. They're going to still be around in some way, shape, or form. Most of them, or some of them, I would assume, are going to mostly be worshiping down there. But there'll be crossover events that we have. So eventually, over the, the idea is about three to five years, somewhere in there, we will be two different churches. But right now, legally, we're one church with two different sites. And that'll be the case for a few years. Uh, and then after seven years, they will be, for sure, kicked out of the nest that has to happen according to our agreement with, with uh, the owners of the building and how that all happens. And it for sure will be like that. And we hope to then have like a network of, of churches and, and especially with Hiawatha. So Michael and Nicole, I don't know who's going to share whatsoever, but tell us how you came up with the name and um, tell us a little bit about what you're excited about and what we can be praying for you guys down at Hiawatha. And it's kind of surreal because this might be the last time I see you here in this, you know, at least up here. It's kind of weird. It is weird, in fact. Um, Let's see, the name, we, were, we, were, we wanted a name, there's kind of two categories. One is kind of location identifier, so like 42nd Street Church or, you know, Minneapolis Community Church or something like that. And the other is more of like your meaning-filled name, more of a theological or biblical name, like Hope Community Church. And as we're thinking through names, Hiawatha actually means river maker. It's a Native American word um, from the East Coast. And so we thought with this name, we have a location name that everyone, when they think of Hiawatha, they think of south and particularly southeastern Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And then it also has this theological uh, uh, meaning to it of God being the river maker. And, and, you know, we have the Isaiah passage of he'll make a way, a, a river in the desert. Mm. So we thought it was kind of the perfect name, really. Yeah. Um, I think it is the perfect name. Yeah. I, I'm amazed anyone else never named their church anything else, actually. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> hope's all right, I guess. You know, not gonna miss that. He says. <laughs> uh, and then let's see. Do you want to talk about what we're excited about, and then and I'll talk about prayer stuff. Sure. Okay. Um, thanks. Okay, uh, we are excited about being in a neighborhood um, that does not like God. We are excited about. Um, the neighborhood that we're in, we did a little research, and as far as we know, there's probably only one other Bible-believing church in, for, of a neighborhood of about 20,000 people, hmm. probably, 30,000. 
Um, so we are excited to be proclaiming the gospel to people who don't think they want to hear it. And um, we are excited about the opportunity to see pagans and witches and people who are very far from God being drawn close to God. And we are excited about all these people that you see standing here in front of us. Um, being transformed into Christ's image and loving this neighborhood and ourselves and the walkers. I'm not sounding excited. <laughs> uh, so in terms of prayer, um, uh, pastorally, I guess I could say for our families uh, that both Chris and I would keep our wives uh, first as our first ministry. And then also the walkers now have this third member of the family and so they have a new dimension. I mean, they have to learn how to be parents now amidst all this. And if you were to think of a list of things not to do at the same time, probably having a kid and starting a church yeah. within a week, you know, <laughs> not so good. I guess you can't plan that down to the minute. But um, so there's that, uh, you know, pray for our families. Pray that, that um, you know, like Steve said, I've thought about that. I've heard Steve's story about the doorknob thing. I think about it actually often so for like five or six years now. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, man. Yeah, boy. I guess uh, you could also pray for Chris and I that we would overcome feelings of ineffectiveness. And uh, it's like our wedding. Remember? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> we're going to be here a while if it's your wedding. <laughs> you cried a long time at your wedding, pal. Um, you know, we're just feeling uh, some small attacks and, you know, just random days feeling depressed and, and things like that. So you can just pray for, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the gospel in our lives. And, uh, yeah, I think you could probably figure out other things, too. For us as a church, I'd say unity and the bonds of fellowship. Um, we really hardly know each other, some of us more than others, and uh, some of us hardly at all, and, and, and we're really just beginning, and so I pray specifically for this fall that, that, uh, that we would bond, but that we would not turn totally inward, um, but that we would have a good balance of being inward and outward. So I pray, I, I would ask that you would pray that, that you would pray that we would be bonded, develop a loving community, but also with the right balance of looking outward into the neighborhood and into our jobs and into our individual lives where we can be attractive for, for Jesus. So that's, that's all I got. Good. If you're part of the launch team, could you kind of squish in this way, maybe make a couple rows, and that'd be great, and, and, and uh, that's fine. And probably pull down front a little bit, too. That'd be great. And then uh, look at me for a second. <laughs> I said this when we let about this many people came up in the front. It was a different church building. Um, there's a couple things. First of all, uh, this model of ministry is a little bit different. So organizationally, I'm going to be around Mike and Nicole and Chris and Letha a lot. Uh, I'm still the senior pastor of the whole thing. However, with that said, I'm going to say the same thing I said to uh, St. Paul Fellowship. I, I don't want anybody here saying that's not the way Trike did it. By the way, it's usually not a good way, but no. These, and the walkers who are on my other side here, they, they are now your pastors. They are the ones. And these, 
are your, this is your church. Start out with, Indeed. you know. Mm-hmm. And it will be wild. Like if you go to uh, uh, St. Paul Fellowship, you'll see all these people, then you'll see all these other people who we never met before. Maybe, I, I don't even know any of them. Mm-hmm. This, is now, this is now your flock. So take care of them. Take care of them. Nice. I'm going to ask uh, the overseers and the leadership team members and anyone else who would like to, excuse me, <clears throat> come forward. We're going to put you all kind of in a huddle here, and we're going to pray for you and send you off. So uh, if we could get as many people as like to come forward um, for this kind of special commissioning day, if you could be willing to do that, we'd, we'd be appreciative. So leadership, for sure, leadership team and, and overseers. Do that, Mike. So, great. Tim, you want to open for us? You just come on down. We're going to start to pray, and then you just keep on coming down. If you want to pray, just raise your hand, and, and the person will hand you the microphone. Just go ahead.